This is Jim Hughes from AFIO Now. We have a series of recorded presentations from former senior U.S. intelligence officers who have great stories to tell. Uh, I'm joined here uh, by an old friend and colleague uh, who has uh, an interesting background and some great experiences to share with you today. Uh, after serving in the U.S. Coast Guard, he joined the CIA in 1990, where he was an analyst for Russian and uh, Eastern European affairs. Uh, he was also uh, an editor for the uh, President's Daily Brief and a speechwriter for the Director of Central Intelligence. He got his uh, PhD from the Fletcher School in 1996 and also worked as the CIA historian for about 11 years before retiring in 2016. Please welcome Mr. Nicholas Dumovich. Nick, welcome. It's good to have you. Thank you, Jim. Uh, it's really an honor uh, to have this opportunity to talk to the membership. I've been a proud member of AFIO since I retired in 2016. And uh, one of the reasons uh, I love AFIO is its commitment to educating the public about the realities of intelligence. That's a commitment that I share. And speaking of share, I'm going to uh, share my screen and get started here. So um, I've titled my presentation, Teaching Intelligence at the College Level in Retirement, with the acronym TICKLER. All of you good former bureaucrats know that a tickler is some sort of device, a file or a memo that acts as a reminder to prompt action on your part. And that's what I want to do today. I'd like to share with you my experience at Catholic University and more generally in the academic world, because frankly, and this is the bottom line up front, we need more former professionals from the intelligence community to go into e intelligence education. And I want to encourage AFIO members, especially recent retirees, to consider giving back by teaching. Uh, if you have been teaching, thank you. Uh, this talk will be old news and very basic to you. Um, for those that haven't been teaching, uh, in this presentation, I intend to describe for you the overall demand for intelligence courses at the college level, specifically the need for educators who have actually served in intelligence and why you might want to consider teaching. What sort of positions are there? How to break into academia and something of what you can expect when you get there, because it is different. It's a different tribe of folks. Why teach intelligence? There are two groups of reasons to teach intelligence, those external to you or objective, uh, while the other set of reasons is subjective. Uh, they concern you directly. The primary external reason is that demand for intelligence courses on college campuses is high and it's growing. Now, in the mid-1980s, when the Coast Guard sent me to graduate school, I was fortunate to take a course in intelligence, but at that time, in the in the mid-80s, it was one of about 50 courses in the entire country, um, at least among civilian colleges and universities. Flash forward to the 9-11 attacks and intelligence courses already growing in number have uh, proliferate after that. Uh, the last study that I'm aware of from several years ago said that there were about 1,000 such courses, and that number has surely risen because 
the number of academic intelligence programs, not just single courses, but entire programs, has also risen dramatically. For years, the only dedicated intelligence studies program outside of the military schools was at Mercyhurst College in Pennsylvania. Five years ago, the number of such programs was about two dozen. And the latest figures I have indicate that the number of dedicated intelligence programs uh, in academia has almost doubled in those five years to about 40. And that number seems to be rising. Just this summer, I became aware of two more programs, uh, one at the University of Lynchburg and another at Newman University in Kansas. A related external reason is that with all this growth, there are relatively few intelligence educators that have significant professional experience in intelligence. Um, I estimate, uh, based on what I've seen, it, that number is about 15%. So that means that roughly, I don't know, 75 to 90% of the 1,000 of the plus intelligence courses in this country are being taught by professional career academics who have probably never served in intelligence, have never held a clearance or traveled undercover, never handled an asset, or considered various clandestine and other sources in writing analysis for a policymaker or briefed a congressional staffer or any of the myriad activities that intelligence professionals do. Consequently, these uh, career academics have little to say when students ask them, what's it like in intelligence? And the students want to know what it's like, and they have a need to know what it's like. What intelligence education needs is more people like AFIO members, former professionals who have served for many years, not just three or four, but have made a career out of it, and therefore have the experience and insights to teach effectively and to counsel and inspire young people who want to know about intelligence as a career and who want to know that it's a great career. Obviously, in terms of personal reasons, they're on the right. Um, for you to get into teaching intelligence, it's a wonderful opportunity to give back to the profession. All of you served your country and gladly made sacrifices to do so. And thank you for your service. Well, this is a way for you to continue to serve. And it's inherently rewarding teaching intelligence to young people. There are other personal reasons to do it. When people are planning to retire, they often hear from retirement counselors who advise that there are some specific things to do in order to have a successful, enjoyable retirement and a long one. And if you get into teaching, you check all the boxes. Uh, for example, staying physically and mentally active. Under normal conditions, when we don't have a pandemic, you know, teaching does involve physical activity. You have to get to class. That's suspended for now. Um, but more relevant is the mental activity. Uh, the kind, especially the kind that gets you out of your comfort zone, setting up a course, developing lectures, class exercises and other instructional materials. This is challenging mental work, and it, it works the mind more than doing the Sudoku or the crossword puzzle in the paper in the morning. Answering questions from students, assessing them, learning a new bureaucracy. All this is important. Also, staying socially active. Needless to say, teaching brings you into contact with new people in new environments. You'll have new colleagues to get to know, and you'll always have new students. Teaching is a great retirement activity. 
in the main because it gets you out of the house. It imposes a routine and a purpose to your schedule, forces you to deal with new people and situations. Bottom line, it's good for you. And also, consider the assets that you bring to the table. There's your substantive expertise, of course, and intelligence, but don't discount the other uh, characteristics of former intelligence officers. You know how to organize things. You have superior communication skills. You have social skills. You like to stay busy. You don't shy from challenges. And very important, you maintain a social network. Your network is a unique resource you can draw on for your classes, guest lecturers, panel discussions, special events. My best asset at Catholic University is my Rolodex, although students don't know what a Rolodex is. We all do. Um, they certainly benefit from it. I bring in uh, people. This is uh, one example of uh, a lecture series that I, I did a couple years ago, various people that I know personally. Um, former uh, Dernza, uh Bill Studeman has uh, been to talk to my students uh, three times, um, and we had, had him scheduled for a fourth before the pandemic hit. Let's talk about what academic positions are there. <clears throat> very basically, and this is very basic, there are full-time positions and there are part-time positions, part-time often called adjunct positions. Full-time has many more advantages, but it's hard to break into, especially at first. Part-time is easier to start with, but has distinct disadvantages that could be off-putting. Let me outline the general points of each. <clears throat> there on the left, full-time. Uh, now, I teach full-time at Catholic University, which normally there means teaching two courses in one semester and three in the other in a given academic year. But because I also administer a program, the Certificate in Intelligence Studies, I'm allowed to teach just two courses per semester. Course load varies greatly <clears throat> between universities and even within a university between departments. I know other universities that require full-time professors to teach three or even four courses a semester, which I think is brutal. Um, the two modes of full-time are contract and tenure track. Um, you all know what tenure is. It requires a lot of commitment to achieve, and including usually a lot of scholarship. Personally, I do not re recommend pursuing a tenure track unless you intend to have a long academic career and have a lot of energy. Uh, given the opportunity <clears throat> to be on uh, tenure track, I declined in favor of being on contract because it would give me more time to teach, to prepare lessons, uh, to run a program. Um, being on contract goes by different names, uh, depending on the university, pr professor of practice or continuing professor. At Catholic, I'm a clinical professor. It just means I'm on contract. Um, now, sometimes contract positions don't require the PhD, especially if you have some name recognition, uh, like a John McLaughlin or Michael Hayden. Uh, at Catholic University, contracts are typically one-year duration, but I was able to neg negotiate, so I'm on a series of two-year contracts. What are the requirements? Well, usually the PhD is required. That varies. That does vary. Some universities will allow full-time professors uh, with just a master's degree. It's not the norm. 
Um, usually there is an ex expectation that you've already taught at the college level and you've published some scholarship in your field. And sometimes there's the expectation that you will continue to do research and continue publishing um, separate from your teaching. The advantages of full-time work, uh, whether you're contractor or tenure track, the pay is much more than part-time work, which we'll get to. Uh, you'll probably get an office, uh, business cards. There is uh, a great deal of prestige. Um, once the media finds out about you, they'll be calling, asking you for commentary on intelligence matters. Um, your department may have a budget to send you on uh, research trips. I was able to go do research at the Eisenhower Library in Kansas, uh, go to conferences and so forth. There are disadvantages and that also includes pay. Pay is an advantage. Uh, it's a pro because it's more than part-time, but the con is that you won't make as much as you did as a government employee. Um, in fact, you may, your full-time academic uh, salary may be a lot less. Um, but remember, you're not doing it for the pay. Uh, there's also another disadvantage is the academic bureaucracy and other issues I will bring up later. Uh, so let's move to part-time or adjunct work. There on the right, <clears throat> this is the most realistic way to teach intelligence at the college level. Even prestigious universities very often will hire part-time instructors who don't have the PhD, but they have a particular expertise. When I left my adjunct position, uh, when I was teaching intelligence at American University, a very fine university, uh, I managed to get as my successor a CIA history staff colleague uh, who was hired for his expertise. He did not have a PhD, he had a master's, and his master's was in ancient history. Uh, so. Other, it will vary by university. The advantages of the part-time work, well, teaching just one course is a good way to see whether you like it or not. Uh, it's the real deal. And students don't make distinctions, generally, between full-time and part-time professors. Um, and you will be called professor. There is some prestige here. You often have flexibility in when you teach, that depends. And this is important, it can be a stepping stone. Let's assume students are gonna to flock to your course because it's about intelligence. After a time, you can offer a second course as an adjunct, and eventually you might be able to parlay your courses into a, a proposal for a program, which is an argument for, for you to be full-time. More on that in a bit. Disadvantages of part-time work. The most serious one is the pay. To use a precise technical term, pay for adjuncts really sucks. Um, you know, it's a lot of work to create a course to, and to teach it. On a prorated basis, you're not going to be making minimum wage. Um, in the Washington, D.C. area, the better paid adjuncts get for a single course in a semester about $6,000. At Catholic, uh, it's about $5,000. Outside the Beltway, it might be a lot less, you know. 3,000 or even less. Here, <clears throat> you are really not doing it for the money. Also, you probably won't have your own office. You may, uh, may have to teach late in the evenings at American University. I had a class that met once a week between 8 p.m. and 11 p.m. <laughs> Again, if your course becomes popular and is comes to be seen as a must-have for your department, you can start negotiating these things. 
Okay, how to start. Uh, let's assume uh, we're going to take the approach of uh, the part-time or adjunct approach. You need to do some research um, with the colleges in your area to see whether any uh, already have intelligence uh, courses or even a program. It's much easier to augment an existing program than to argue for something that doesn't yet exist. If your local state university or even community college has intelligence courses, then you want to focus on who is teaching them. Uh, if it doesn't have um, these courses, uh, you should learn who is teaching related courses in national security and international affairs, American government, maybe law enforcement. You need to take a page from case officers, right? Who spot assess and develop before pitching an espionage asset. Um, does anybody in your personal network have ties at the university that might be helpful? Uh, if not, you may have to approach uh, the, the professor or the department head uh, directly by email, uh, old fashioned letter or by phone. Uh, if they have a lecture series, you could start attending that. Uh, introduce yourself and exchange cards and you should have business cards and also a LinkedIn account. Uh, don't discount the fact that the, that the the fact that you are a former U.S. intelligence officer will cause you to be remembered. It'll get attention. And once you're known to the right people in academia, I actually would not start by offering a course off the bat, unless you've done so before, and then by all means, go ahead. But if not, I would start by offering a guest lecture on an intelligence topic, one that obviously reflects your professional expertise, collection or other operations, analysis, country or regional politics, and then be brilliant. Hit it out of the park so that you're asked back. And in the course of this relationship, as it's developing, at some point, you may be able to say to these academics, you know, I could teach a course on that. Let's say you're an expert in technical collection. I would love, by the way, to have a separate course just on technical collection in my program. Or maybe you, you're an expert in counterintelligence or analysis. Uh, you can offer it perhaps as a summer course, summertime, uh, the summer term is often uh, when new courses and new instructors are tried out. Um, you could offer it that way. The goal, however you do this, the goal is to become indispensable because your course in all likelihood will become popular. It's about intelligence. You might be able to parlay that into teaching a second course, as I've said before, and students are gonna flock to that one too. <clears throat> one of my adjuncts currently who is teaching cyber intelligence, a Catholic, Bill Nolte, he just uh, he offered to teach a second course as an adjunct on the moral foundations of intelligence. Uh, I said, what a great idea. We're taking him up on that. A very ambitious goal would be taking your established record of teaching popular intelligence courses and making the argument to your department that, you know, we and emphasize the we, we could have a program here. Higher education is a business. So they will probably conclude that this proposed program of yours would bring in students and money. And of course, you are the obvious candidate to run the program. So what's it like? 
Teaching intelligence at the college level, as I said, it's, it's rewarding, it's exciting, it's stimulating, and mostly it's fun. But there are other features about academia that you should know about. Uh, I'm going to be very brief on these. First of all, there may be confusion over where intelligence fits in the academic organization. If you have any say in the matter at all, I would recommend the political science department. Uh, it's probably the least bad fit. And you can always argue, well, intelligence at bottom is a function of government. My program at Catholic was originally going to be in the business school. And at other places, believe it or not, it is in the business school. Or putting intelligence into a criminology department or a law enforcement program, it happens a lot. I don't think it's ideal. That's my view. You might not have any choice on the matter. Uh, academic culture. For me, the difference between the culture of academia and that of the federal service that I was used to, that was stark. It took months for me to figure out that I didn't have to be at the university every day. There are no core hours of coverage. Um, and consequently, there's little interaction with academic colleagues. And I'm using my fingers to put quotation marks around the word colleagues, because colleagues in academia are not like colleagues that we're used to in uh, in federal service. Uh, these colleagues, would, you know, they come and go as they please and generally show up at the office for meetings and when they have to teach. Weeks or months would go by before I would uh, see any of them. Um, a, a couple of them I actually never met. A related observation is that compared with working in the federal service, um, uh, let me put this bluntly, the social skills of professional faculty are often somewhat stunted. Uh, I found myself having to initiate interactions and introductions with my new colleagues. Uh, turf issues. Turf issues are real. Um, the old saying is that uh, academic disputes, particularly about turf, are so vicious because the stakes are so low, and it truly is. Uh, these things can get nasty, as I found when I proposed notional uh, intelligence courses that involved other departments. Uh, I, I learned the hard way. Uh, tenured faculty often have an entrenched sense of entitlement that is truly astonishing. You know, in the IC, you succeed as a team player. In academia, not so much. I say that you're in terms of bureaucracy, you'll miss the federal bureaucracy because the academic bureaucracy outdoes it in being unhelpful. There are a lot of petty, entrenched bureaucrats uh, who can't figure out why and how they're keeping their jobs. We're doing more hindering than helping. Make sure that in your department, you befriend your administrative officer or support person. They can help lubricate the machinery. The students. Students are generally eager and are hoping to learn what intelligence is really like, which is, of course, why you're there. They operate, however, in what's been called a post-literate world. So you may need to adjust your expectations about how much they can really effectively read uh, in a week uh, and definitely how well they can write, because most of them cannot write. Uh, you'll, in terms of vocational interest, you'll get a lot of interest from excellent students, and from poor students alike.
In fact, sometimes I get, I think I get more uh, career questions from the poor students. I inform them all about careers. I use AFIO's great booklet on intelligence careers. Um, I, though I'm not a recruiter, I tell them I'm not a recruiter. I try not to judge their career potential, at least not to their faces. Uh, resources. We could talk a long time about resources for teaching intelligence. Uh, generally, there have never been so many helpful resources available to an intelligence educator. Textbooks, online resources, databases of declassified documents, syllabi uh, for established courses. Um, CIA Center for the Study of Intelligence, my old outfit, uh, has a lot of helpful materials. And AFIO uh, has a very fine guide to the teaching of intelligence that's available free online. Um, on resources, I can uh, expand on this and I'm happy to advise uh, on this score. What about getting stuff cleared through the Publications Review Board uh, or whatever your former agency calls it? Um, a PRB chairman told me that he was interested only in my course outline, that is my syllabus, uh, not my lesson plans, unless I myself had a specific concern. Uh, and so that's been my method. You need to be aware of your former agency's guidance on this, and you need to use your judgment, keeping in mind that the requirement to protect still classified information is a lifelong obligation. Um, Again, I can elaborate on all this because there's so much more to say. Uh, for now, let me end with an exhortation. Having more former professionals in intelligence education is really important. It will improve intelligence education at the university level. It will enhance the public's understanding of intelligence. It will have the result of boosting the quality of candidates for employment in the intelligence community and therefore it will ultimately serve and improve U.S. national security interests. I hope you will consider it. Uh, let me just run through some, <clears throat> very quickly, some other things that we've been able to do. Ethics of Intel uh, Intelligence Panel, Michael Hayden and uh, Sue Bromley there on the right. Uh, another uh, event with Michael Hayden on ethics and the technical collection of intelligence. Uh, being in the Washington area helps uh, and having contacts at CIA so we can make field trips. Uh, we've been to NGA as well, uh, which was eye-opening. Uh, Catholic University started uh, an intelligence club. This was a student's initiative, and it uh, does a lot of great work. And I will end there and um, be happy to take uh, questions from uh, uh, from uh, Jim Hughes. And uh, I have my email there up there deliberately. Uh, send me an email. I'm happy to elaborate, answer questions, give you suggestions. Uh, and, and to serve you. Thank you, Jim. Nick, that's great information. Um, thank you very much for taking the time today. I think all of our viewers are going to find it to be very, very interesting, but particularly our network of uh, college university uh, professors and students. Uh, as Nick knows, um, one of the founding uh, principles of AFIO uh, going back to 1975 when we were established was to do academic outreach. And I'm happy to say that we've performed uh, in a number of areas very, very well. Nick uh, cited several of those examples. We also have a great network of college uh, and university professors around the country who are retired colleagues. 
and uh, Nick is uh, very definitely one of those. And um, the idea and the reason why I was so excited about inviting um, Nick on for the program today is that, uh, especially in this new virtual world that we're all being forced to operate in, I would really like to find new and more ways to um, engage uh, academia around the country and follow the great uh, advice that uh, Nick has given. Uh, Nick, as I mentioned to you before we began recording, uh, we're now doing virtual work uh, for AFIO. And uh, in addition to virtual board meetings, um, I've actually had a couple of virtual sessions with all of the AFIO chapter presidents, a number of whom are either professors in their own right or um, um, have uh, made great strides in connecting with local colleges and universities in their areas. I know a number of them would like to reach out and talk to you. Um, and I'm delighted that you put up your uh, email address for that. Do you have any particular advice for that group? Because they're not in the Washington area. They don't quite have the same um, yeah. reach that we have being close to the nation's capital. Um, are some things that they can be thinking about doing uh, because they don't have that same uh, reach that you've got? Well, I think uh, one silver lining of the pandemic is that uh, we've been forced to think in new ways. Uh, back in March, when the, the lockdown happened for everybody, uh, faculty had, at Catholic had two days to go online. And we it was a learning curve, but uh, we figured it out. Um, but we've continued uh, this fall with our uh, Intelligence Club uh, presentations. And uh, basically, distance is a lot less important. Yeah, sure, it's great to have an in-person uh, visit from um, Michael Hayden or Michael Morrell or, uh, or, or Bill Studeman, Admiral Studeman. Um, there's nothing like that. But if I were teaching uh, outside the Washington area, um, I would start using this new technology, whether it's Zoom or WebEx or Google Meet, um, th this is the way to, uh, to to eliminate that distance and and to utilize, uh, because it's easy to, to do, and we found that it's easy to do. It's easy to say yes to as well. Nick, a great performance today. We're really grateful. You are a great member of AFIO. <laughs> thank you. Want to thank you very, very much, and hope to get you back on the program in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, we can uh, talk about it. Uh, historical substance as well, uh, uh, that, that would be fine. I'd love to tap your brain on some of the uh, Russian, Eastern European topics as well. Oh, gosh. It's been a long time since I've considered those. Uh, but some things never change. That's right. All right. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. All of you stay tuned. We'll have more programs coming in the future.